This is the GC Channel podcast series, designed specially for you, the general counsel and your in-house legal teams. I'm your host, Orlando Caceres, the president and founder of First Law International. Join me and top legal experts in our discussions over trendy legal topics that keep you up at night. Let us begin. Welcome to the GC Channel. This is a broadcasting uh, where uh, the in-house legal departments and general counsels and associate general counsels around the world gather together to have an opportunity to share ideas and discuss trending topics and also subjects that are keeping most of the in-house legal departments up at night wondering how are we going to cope with these things. Um, Orlando Casera is the founder and uh, president of First Law International. And uh, my next guest is uh, someone that needs very little introduction. Uh, I've known Todd for a very long, long time, and we reconnected recently as we started working together. Um, Todd Benson is a um, someone whose uh, stellar career uh, it's, it's it's quite impressive. Uh, he's uh, worked for Magic Circle Law Firm, and then he was legal counsel uh, at a very senior post for one of America's top 100 fortune companies uh, in the freight forwarding business. And uh, he was at that time responsible for uh, Europe, Europe, Middle East, North Africa. So he's developed uh, a very international and very savvy um, sort of foot on, foot on the ground of, of how to, to run a multinational business. Um, but for the audience, Todd, um, you know, I, I think it's very, uh, very audacious, if not very brave, that you have now hanged all that glorious past, uh, institutional past, and jumped into a startup of all things that is now relocated you to uh, to Hong Kong. So before we talk a, a little bit about the Flexport and your new post, Maybe just a couple of words about you personally. What is how has your journey been been so far to get you to this point? Thanks, Orlando. Thanks for the kind introduction and what a great uh, question. I've, uh, as you know, I've had a great interest in international uh, international things for a long time. Uh, growing up in the U.S., uh, uh, I was always interested in, in the rest of the world and then had an opportunity to live abroad, uh, live outside of the U.S. for a time and really enjoyed the perspective that provided me uh, on the world. Uh, and, and so that has followed me in my career. So having worked in Hong Kong for, I guess, 15 years now, uh, it's something I, I truly enjoy and that gives me, a, that's a passion that I have that continues to follow me through my career. Well, that's, um, I think it's a perfect way to, to, to get into the, um, to the meat of this uh, interview because I'm sure that the audience is gonna find uh, the, the courageous uh, act of jumping to, uh, to that part of the world. I mean, Hong Kong right now is, is obviously a big question mark for a lot of people, uh, while it used to be everybody's favorite. Uh, so you're now the, the GC for Asia and uh, in, in, in a startup company by the name of Flexport. And, and most of our most of our audience are going to look up and you know Google out who is Flexport, right? 
but it's it's one of those names that uh, is going to stay with them for for a while because um, just in the last three years, uh, Flexport has been uh, named as one of the fifty disruptors by CNBC, which is I, I think is uh, very impressive. It's also been ranked as one of Inc.'s best workplaces. So obviously, you guys are doing something right. But what really got to me was the um, the way in which Flexboard has caught the imagination of the investors and um, how quickly you managed to raise some significant capital to pull this off. Uh, so I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that because I had to do the math when I, when I saw that you're being ranked as a 15,000% growth rate. Uh, that's, that's not a, a very... Uh, easy number to, to catch. So tell us a little bit about the why has Flexport hit uh, um, and resonates so well with the investment community for the global trade aspect of the business? Great question. I was fortunate to join uh, a unicorn, as they call a startups that have been quite successful. Uh, and there's a definition for that you can look up if you like. Uh, I was interested in the opportunity to move from an environment that was very well established in a way, uh, but that also was not changing a great deal. And uh, with Flexport, I saw an opportunity to, uh, to, it is a disruptor, Flexport is a disruptor in the industry in a positive way. Uh, we bring technology to a, uh, to a business that, and an industry that is, maybe a thousand years old uh, with many practices that have grown up over time, antiquated practices, paper-based practices, a little bit like China where they put a, a physical chop on, on paper documents. Uh, they've been doing that clear up until this last year where they recently made a change to their civil code. Uh, but there's many practices like that throughout the freight forwarding industry. And uh, Flexport has brought software to bear created solutions to make global trade easy for everyone. It's a platform where customers large and small can find their needs uh, met and uh, in a way that where they have visibility to their data, to their shipments in a way that's never been done before. And uh, it's a, a privilege to be associated with that. And that's really what's tr attracting those valuations and that significant investment at an early stage um, and rapid growth today. You know, when I <laughs> when I came across all the information in, in preparing for this interview, which I knew that the, the audience was gonna be very drawn uh, in, in the, the, the headline that caught my eye was the one that, um, and, and I, maybe you can update us if it's, if it's even more impressive, but it was, um, it was uh, sort of, uh, position as the eighth fastest growing company in the US. Is that still the case? Or are you guys now the seventh largest? <laughs> I, I actually do not know the answer to that. The, the struggle that uh, we have within the company is keeping up with the growth. Uh, we, we are seeing uh, outsized growth in our business with customers really flocking to us. And it's hard to keep up with that rate of growth. Uh, some of the, the things we're doing to expand our footprint uh, and, and meet the demand uh, that 
you know, it's it's a great challenge to have, but it is a real challenge. So we're not really focused on headlines. Uh, there are a lot of great headlines. They see keep cropping up. That's a new one you've mentioned today. Uh, I'd love to see them, but we're really focused on keeping our heads down, uh, nose to the grindstone, and and making this happen. Thank you. And uh, you know, one of the, the fundamental pillars of the GC channel is to enable a whole host and variety of, of GCs and AGCs and other uh, business executives uh, to, to have a, a platform where um, we can we can discuss openly subjects that, that the audience is going to find interesting. So we, we, we're hoping that as we get more into this interview, that the, the way in which we present the subject uh, is going to be something that people are going to relate to. Uh, because, you know, here is someone, again, very seasoned, very traditional, institutional, uh, in-house attorney uh, that is that is sort of given up that convenience and stability and, and, and sort of future position, uh, as you said, with, with very little uh, potential for growth as an individual and as a person, because, you know, it, these are very strict kind of guidelines when you work for these very large companies. And you, you've given all that up for the, for the opportunity for personal growth and the, the adventure of taking uh, a relatively small uh, company into a major player. And I, and I think for those GCs or in-house counsel that are watching, uh, they're going to find that very, uh, very refreshing. So uh, with that in mind, um, let's, let's talk about something that it's, it's important to you as a true globalist, if I could say that in, in terms of your, your personal background. Um, you're now superseding international growth. Uh, at, a, at an unprecedented rate because you're opening businesses all over now and you're, you're having to uh, run very fast. You're having to work with local counsel, make uh, corporate decisions and advise your, your corporate client. What are some of the uh, challenges that you're seeing right now when you deal with COVID, you're dealing with your, your technology, which is a, a game changer in your industry? And, and also the, the impact that COVID is having in technology and acceleration. What are some of those challenges? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, we, one of the challenges I think is common to many, if not most companies, and that was how to adjust to an environment where we could not physically meet together. Uh, now, in some ways, this was already enabled by our platform. So in some ways, our response to the crisis was, I would say, seamless. We were able to continue working from our home environment on our platform and uh, continue to provide high levels of service to our customers and you know, internal clients as well. So that has been something that we have experienced. But uh, we have had some interesting learnings from this. And I, I don't think that we are particularly unique in this. Um, We've discovered, as many others have, that it is possible to work, um, have a slightly more flexible work arrangement where more work is done outside of an office environment. Uh, we found success with collaboration. Uh, partly this is because uh, many of our, our people are very tech savvy, I suppose, but um, you know, many others have, have had the same experience. So less of a need for uh, office, office locations, uh, we will be maintaining them, 
especially in Asia, where the office remains a very important part uh, of a business and, and the social life of our people. But uh, we will have less reliance in places like in the United States. Uh, people will be coming into the office less in the future, it, it appears. Uh, and that's a great thing. So a little more flexibility to work life has, has been achieved because of this. And we find, found ways to collaborate in creative ways online. And uh, there's balance. It's still important to get together, I think, as much as you can. But uh, as, as many others have adjusted, uh, so have we. You know, um, <clears throat> as, as I hear you, I think, I think some of our critics are going to say, now, come on, Todd, that's, that's easy for you to say because you have your own technology. You were already going into that space and all COVID's done is accelerated uh, what you're, you were going to find out inev inevitably. What do you say to those uh, in-house legal teams where working you know, centrally, uh, those traditional brick and mortar offices where you had hundreds of busy buddies running around, um, what do you say to those guys that don't have the privilege of your platform, your software, your technology, and, and their tech-savvy mindset? Well, uh, I would say that it's something to strive for, for any, any company. There are so many ways to, to streamline your processes in a way that help human beings realize their potential in much better ways. Uh, rather than pushing paper around, uh, rather than engaging in small minutia, uh, where you have software that's accomplishing a lot of your tasks for you, it enables more freedom. And it enables a more, uh, more ability to do meaningful work. And that's something that I've found uh, that I really enjoy. It was something I hoped to achieve with this move. Um, I have greatly benefited from the more traditional environments in which I have worked, learning about processes uh, and, and how things can work and be well-managed. To be able to bring that to bear though in an enabled environment has truly been liberating. Uh, and I think it is something that many can strive for, greater efficiency, more human realization of, of their potential. This can uh, apply to legal teams and, and legal teams interfaces with others within a larger, uh, more traditional structure. Uh, I, I think we'll see more of that. Um, I, I think this is very true uh, of, of the company that you are now, um, you know, leading in, in the legal space because uh, I've come to understand that the Flexport is, is doing some great things for your customers uh, that are facing COVID and that you have now dedicated some big resources uh, to getting supplies to the front line uh, for the healthcare workers that are that are fighting COVID. You're providing a lot of pro bono uh, work and discounted rates, and you're offering some amazing uh, services to the NGO community and nonprofits. And I think that's very commendable. Um, why is, is that part of your mandate? Is that part of you in terms of your values? Um, is, is that part of the culture uh, that Flexport? Uh, certainly, that is important to me. Uh, it is, uh, but it's very much a part of the Flexport culture, something I've been delighted to see joining Flexport. Uh, we have a vice president that's in charge of, of uh, NGO engagement, 
and and social responsibility. And a big part of what we do is is devoted to these kinds of causes. We uh, we have a significant effort uh, directed towards India right now, where we're trying to enable uh, oxygen concentrators, for example, to to be brought to bear in a place of great need. Uh, earlier early on, we were heavily involved in ensuring that uh, personal protective equipment could be uh, transported around the world uh, where it needed to be, sometimes involving very creative arrangements. Uh, so that's that's really part of who we are. Uh, social responsibility is critical to us. I think we view what we do as part of as having a global mission, making the world better, a better place. And there are many aspects to that. And we love to be involved in those aspects, even though they may not always be apparently directed, directly related to, uh, uh, to profits. Uh, but we do believe we benefit uh, as the world benefits and vice versa. Um, I, I think uh, that, that was very well, very well said. You know, it's, it's interesting that the, the audience around the world watching us right now, um, they're, they're all very busy and they're busy with their, with their board of directors and their stakeholders and, and their P&Ls and the bottom lines and, and profitability. And, and of course, as, as the, the, the gatekeepers of the health and well-running of a business, um, legal in, in many instances is, uh, is the, the sort of the, the savior of the, of the business because you have to ensure that the company's running very smoothly. In other instances, uh, legal is seen as a hindrance and stumbling block because you know, you're know you the ones always telling the client, you can't do that, you can't do this, or be careful. Um, but for those that are in, in a similar situation as you with a relatively small legal department where you guys do a lot of the heavy lifting yourselves, um, what are the words of advice uh, for GCs that are now putting in in this virtual world, they're putting in 14-hour days. It blurs Zoom meetings and team meetings, Zoom, but blur into the next one. Um, what do you say to them? Because I'm sure you you've already been through that journey. Um, is there is there is there hope at the end of the day because you eventually get better and more efficient, or we just need to brace ourselves for a little bit more of this COVID mindset? Great question. I think those are really significant challenges for anyone to deal with. Uh, I, I think it's important to establish uh, some boundaries where you can. One thing I personally discovered in the context of COVID, where I was working from home, uh, as many others have, uh, it was important to establish a boundary because it becomes very easy to simply work around the clock. Uh, from when you wake up in the morning until you go to bed. Uh, it's, it can be on all the time, and that's actually not healthy. I found that I was much more productive when I was intentional in creating space. Uh, it's important to have space for a GC to think and, and, uh, and come up with creative uh, ways to address situations. Um, I, I view my role as an enabler for the business not as a, uh, an inhibitor in any way. So that necessarily involves creativity. It, it involves finding ways to enable the business to accomplish their objectives in ways that are compliant 
that ensure proper legal outcomes as well as proper and, and very successful business outcomes. So all of that does require a certain amount of uh, intellectual time, uh, just time to think. And uh, you have to create a little bit of space for that and not be on 100% of the time and creating some balance in your life. Uh, otherwise, you know, you, I think the business will suffer as a result. And, and I think that that is the loop to the, to the next question, because, um, you know, I, I know and talking to you that you're, you're very busy right now with a, um, a rollout of setting up shop in, in a lot of different countries and you're doing it, you know, again, with a, with a relatively small team. So a lot of the, the weight of these decisions fall on your shoulders. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, we're, we're expanding aggressively and we're, we're going to open shop in all these countries. But let's talk about some of these challenges um, from, from where you're, you're currently sitting. Uh, looking at some of the um, trendy articles that are out there uh, from, from some of the surveys, for example, uh, in, in a recent article uh, that was published, it said that over 160 uh, global business leaders that were surveyed in trying to identify what were their key areas of concern, what were the worries as they branched into the um, in, into a cross-border international expansion. And I'm just, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I know the audience would like to hear whether you concurred or, or you have a slightly different take, but at the very top of the list, some of these concerns were primarily data protection, um, IP protection in terms of uh, your intellectual property, um, you know, employer retention. And, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, the um, All your contracting, making sure that the forms that you're going to be used are, are proper and uh, choice of law and, and, and dispute resolution. When, when you're mapping out your international expansion, are these the similar concerns that you have or do, do you and Flexper have another set of concerns that are very particular to you? That's a great question. Data protection, of course, is uh, that's affecting our business as many others. Uh, to some extent, we don't know what that's going to mean fully but it is something with, with uh, regulations and, and laws with meaningful teeth uh, that we expect will be applied at some point. So that is something we do think about quite a bit. Data security is key, especially to a business like ours. A lot of our business involves the cross-border transportation of goods. So we're also keyed in on things like customs regulations and, and making sure that the transportation, the way we engage with the regulators uh, and, and with our customers is handled in a, in a, a proper way. So we, that's another significant area for us. Uh, we also contract uh, with, with uh, parties all around the world, customers, vendors, uh, what we call partners, uh, which are other freight forwarders that work with us on our platform. Um, not unlike the way FLI works with its member firms. Uh, we have found that our business model working in alignment with many partners with sim similar values or that strive to hold similar values, but that adhere to a, a system with integrity becomes a very powerful thing. And uh, that's been something that 
that, that also occupies a lot of my time. Um, so my responsibilities in addition to Asia actually touch on our global partner program uh, where we extend our business globally uh, in this way and also to our platform itself, making sure that it is compliant and enables compliant outcomes. So those are the things that occupy a lot of my time, a lot of my thought. Um, you know, I know that uh, it sounds easy to say, well, in addition to my day job, I'm also responsible for global compliance and the, uh, the, the you know, the other uh, areas of interest, like you mentioned, customs regulations and, and data protection, which is everybody's um, elephant in the room. Uh, there is another area of interest, in, in, as I've been interviewing uh, other guests and, and, and VIPs, uh, it seems to be hitting uh, a sensitive chord, and it's now becoming more of a, of a narrative in the interviews than, than in previous years. But um, the, the, the notion that, so first of all, finding and then keeping, retaining, and training uh, the younger uh, generation, whether millennials or even younger, um, are you seeing some kind of a trend in that? Is that a challenge in your industry, or are you some somehow insulated uh, because your your startup mindset has got everybody excited about it? I think we're experiencing similar uh, concerns that others uh, have with this same question. Uh, you know, the, the younger generation, they love to work in something cool and Flexport is cool. So that's great. But where do you go from there? Uh, cool still involves work. And uh, fortunately, we find that there are very many well-motivated uh, employees coming on board, well-educated they come with a, a desire where they have a strong social sense of social responsibility. Uh, they want to do meaningful things. They want to work on meaningful projects. Uh, so sometimes uh, I, I think a challenge for some of the younger uh, folks that are coming on board is feeling like they are part of a meaningful whole and that they're helping build something. And uh, we strive to, to help them feel that way. Uh, and actually they are, you know, every, everyone has the opportunity to contribute to the development of this uh, system, this machine, uh, and that's helpful to them. Uh, when, when, the, when many of this generation feel like they're becoming involved in anything mundane, repetitive, uh, that's where you lose them really fast. And this industry, as with many others, there are tasks that can become that way. And that's one of the beauties of software. Uh, it can take over some of those things and streamline them, help people focus on, uh, on things that are more meaningful to them, uh, engaging with other people, other clients, and talking about solutions for their business. That's a very powerful thing when people actually put their minds together creatively. And, and so I, I think that's a key for the, the, the coming generation and having a sense of vision, having a sense of meaningful work. And technology has the potential to enable all of that rather than, than the opposite. Uh, it, it can do the opposite too. Yeah, it, can, it can turn people into machines. Uh, so you have to strike balance and, and, uh, and watch that. 
now, Todd, I, I think you just lost about half the audience by now. Because if you're telling them that working for cool is the answer to their problems, then a lot of these GCs are going to have to reinvent themselves and make their businesses cool uh, in order to keep their younger uh, the younger workforce. But you know, I I, I think that I, I couldn't have come up with that analogy because that's that's a that's a very powerful, very simple, very powerful in itself. You know, this younger group of um, the labor force that we all need to 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 come in from under and, and, and sort of bolster what we're trying to do they are relating to a different value proposition, right? You, you mentioned the experience. They have to feel like they're part of a meaningful whole, that they're creating something as opposed to the previous generation, which was, I just need a job, security. And, and we're not undermining the values of, of before. It's just that we're commenting on, on, on the values of the now. And, and there are a lot of pundits out there who are saying, oh, they're just entitled. They don't want to work hard. Uh, but I think I think you're you're probably just spot on on this that they if if they feel that they are contributing to a good cause um, and they feel part of a community, uh, I think you're likely to keep them. And and of course, it just so happens that Flexport kind of ticks all the boxes. So you you're in the in the cool industry um, now. You are uh, at this moment uh, doing a, a massive rollout in Asia. And you're opening legal entities left, right, and center because your growth is 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 unprecedented, which is which is very nice. But you know, for a GC who's out there uh, sitting right now, uh, overworked and and without any respite in sight, uh, how are you coping with that? I mean, how easy is it for you to find uh, competent counsel? Uh, how do you typically do it? Um, you know, where where are the points of success that you've encountered so far? Fortunately, there are some outstanding legal professionals uh, around the globe. And over time, I've been fortunate to work with many. Uh, and now it's to, to deal with the scope of the projects that I'm working on right now, it would become quite challenging for me personally to be in touch with all of those people uh, and balance all of those uh, demands and their inevitable requests uh, by myself. Now, I'm fortunate to have a team that helps. Uh, I, I would have to, I would clearly, I, I know this is not meant to be a, a self-serving exercise for you, Orlando, but we are very grateful to FLI for extending our reach to be able to engage meaningfully with uh, counsel through the FLI platform. It's very, it's, it feels very natural to Flexport because that's how we like to do things. We like to partner with others who can extend our reach, work creatively and cooperatively with us to get work done. And uh, you know, there are interesting and, and, and substantive legal questions that have to be addressed in, in, all, in all of these places, in, in this expansion, well, you, you're actually helping us do that. And uh, you're extending my reach and causing me to live a, a slightly better life than I would otherwise be living. That's, that's a very, uh, that's a, that's a very uh, humbling uh, way to put it. But thank you. Thank you for that. And, and of course, I, you know, I think for the audience, uh, there's nothing more powerful than a an anecdotal uh, true story, uh, so to speak, where you can say, well, this is what I'm doing and this is why this is working for me. 
and to, to have now been elevated to a cool network. Uh, it's it's going to be something that we're going to celebrate here after the interview. Um, now, obviously, when you when you've taken on the mantle for this for this new challenge, and, and I can now see why because this this really fits you like a glove. I, you know, I've known you for a while, and and uh, Flexport is enabling you to to grow and to develop. And and a lot of the other GCs that are watching, uh, they, they want something similar, right? They they want you know, security, they want some some kind of a legacy and continuity, but at the same time, they want personal growth. Uh, they want the adventure, the challenge to build something, to reinvent to, to, to the mousetrap, so to speak. And sometimes those two are not compatible because security and, and continuity comes at a price. The excitement, the adventure, there's the uncertainty that this, this unicorn could have been a flop and, and you right now would be uh, looking uh, for, for another position. Um, but true to your to your profile, uh, we, we've talked briefly about um, uh, some articles that you've written in the past and I was particularly taken by one that you wrote not very long ago uh, where, you know, if anybody looking at your, your background and your profile, they will start thinking of you as a globalist. You're the ultimate trader. Uh, you believe in trade, uh, global trade, as a means to to empower society, and I, and I thought I was very. Um, I, I reflected on your paper, and it's it's uh, you're you're making a, uh, almost like a, 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 an ecclesiastical message out there to for free trade, big trade, global trade, because that enhances uh, employment, uh, security, stability between countries. Um, so what are your, your thoughts in general right now about the, the, let's talk first about the positives of the increased globalization. And later we're going to talk about the pitfalls because there's a little bit of a backlash. Great question. Uh, there's a lot wrapped up in, in that question. I, I do believe there are significant benefits from global trade. Uh, I'm not, um, I wouldn't be looking to make any political statement here. I'm not an advocate for open borders per se, although I have seen great benefits in places like Europe uh, from, from an approach like that. But uh, what I do think is very important is it's important to, to understand how regulations properly work, both as an, an enabler and, uh, and a protector of global trade but also uh, watching for the things that can happen around the edges that aren't so positive. Um, there are, you know, it is possible that there are bad actors that are involved in, they're seeking to be involved in moving goods. Um, we have a, a robust denied party screening program, for example, at Flexport. Uh, many other companies similarly situated or others also have them to avoid doing business with bad actors. Um, those, those folks do exist in the world. Uh, there is need for regulation, but regulation can, can be overdone as well. So uh, you know, finding ways to facilitate uh, uh, companies that are, are trying to improve the planet with their goods and services, um, I think is a great thing. You know, we, we deal with large companies, the very largest, but we also deal with very small companies, some who have started up 
uh, sometimes fairly recently with some product that uh, can really benefit people around the world. And I just love being able to enable them to grow their business, uh, to, uh, to take their creativity and put it to work in different places around the world and, and really benefit the world. There are great, great ideas everywhere that can be brought to bear if, if that's enabled. And so I, I hate to see restrictions on that kind of activity. I like to see more of that where uh, more, more solutions can be brought to bear around the world. That, that's what excites me. You know, that in, in one of the recent meetings that, that we had, um, you and I had with, with a number of council uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a virtual setting where you explain the, <clears throat> the business model that you're trying to pursue. Um, one of the points that, that I thought you made is that when the, um, when the environment in the country that you're planning to set shop is friendly and less restrictive and relatively sort of, you know, turnkey, uh, that, that it doesn't have all these regulatory, bureaucratic uh, stumbling blocks. Obviously, you, you, you're gravitating to those markets easier and faster. And so when, when I read your paper, I, I could see why, you, why you're, you're, you're writing what you're writing, because you're saying, if I, as a startup, I'm going to gravitate to this jurisdiction because it's easier, it's friendly. The, the government is poised to attract uh, industries like ours. Uh, and, and therefore, I'm going to bring in revenue to the country, employment to the country, more stability. That's the positive. And you're saying, we want to see more of those. But in your paper, you also talk about the inhibitors. You, I mean, you, you, to make it a, a fair paper, you say, look, there's a lot of these um, critical implications that are inhibiting the business, and in your in your experience, um, why would um, why would a jurisdiction, uh, based on on what you've learned, be so difficult to want to attract uh, investment from from a foreign company such as yours in in the current exercise that you're doing at the moment? I think sometimes it's fear. I think sometimes uh, the country itself may be afraid of, of foreign foreigners coming in and and having an influence in their country. Uh, I, I think there's also uh, protectionist uh, uh, tendencies with various industries. So uh, we try to allay those fears. You know, we we look to work with local partners and, and work with those countries to expand the amount of goods that are flowing to and from them uh, to expand their business opportunities, not take them away. Uh, you can look to many examples of those countries that have adopted uh, more uh, sometimes export-oriented uh, approaches to things. Uh, they have benefited greatly from their opening to the outside world for an investment and to trade. Uh, yeah, there are many examples of that. And I, I think some, some countries are adopting more of that. And it's easy to see right now with our own business where certain countries make it very easy. Well, certainly we gravitate to that. We want to, to work with that quickly, partner with them. Where it's more difficult, then we have to tell our story. 
and, and help them come to see that we are not there to be exploitative, but to expand the pie for everyone. And I think as, as, as those countries uh, come to see that more and have trust in that, um, you know, I, I think the, the opportunities open um, and, and maybe they probably have good reason to, to, to fear uh, from some of their past experiences. So maybe they're, you know, they're wise to be careful. Uh, we will work with all perspectives and, and we hope to bring to, be, to bear a model and a, and a way of looking at things that is viewed as cooperative by everyone. And, and would you say that in, in a situation like, you know, you, you are expanding, you're, you're going through your due diligence, uh, you go through your questionnaire, you look at a country, you look at the regulatory scheme, uh, then you put it in some kind of a scorecard and you say, hey, this one is, is uh, immediate because it's so, it's so easy to go there. Others are a little more complicated. Do you, would you say that that's where local um, talented local council uh, with know-how and the, the sort of the roadmap to help you and guide you in country uh, would become invaluable because that's really where um, having those connections and having access to those resources uh, would be more powerful uh, than otherwise because then you might be taking risks or you may be scrapping from the list that particular jurisdiction. So in other words, when you're doing your due diligence and you find that there are jurisdictions that are more complex and difficult to enter, is that where having competent local counsel becomes a real asset for you? Absolutely. The initial assessment is important and competent local counsel, they're the ones who can go beyond what the law says on paper and tell us what the law is in practice. Uh, that's what we really look for uh, because often the way things look on paper are quite different from the way they actually operate in practice. And uh, we need to get, that's what we need to find out. Sometimes things look difficult on paper but when you actually get down to how things actually operate, uh, you can be very compliant, 100% compliant, and, but, but you can find ways to do things in ways that are, that are possible. Uh, other times you find that the law in practice may actually make it more difficult than it appears on paper. In both cases, strong local counsel is essential and, and we really rely on that heavily. And of course, that sounds very easy, right? To say, well, here's local council, but um, you know, you're in a situation where the wrong choice or, or the wrong degree of competence or lack of sophistication could be very detrimental to you. So this is why uh, you have an access to these resources. And for that matter, any uh, GC out there uh, that is going to be going through an expansion just like you are, they're going to appreciate your remarks because um, they're, they're relating to, to the fact that, you know, it may be that the, um, the, the preliminary advice uh, yields a very rosy picture. So you're going to be able to set shop in that jurisdiction. And yet you have other big markets that you want to enter where the regulatory list is this long uh, and you're not going to say, well, I'm sorry, it's too hard. I'm not going to go there. You're going to have to say, okay, so what do we do next? And um, in relying on, on those individuals that are from the local harvest, which is what we specialize in. 
is uh, it's 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 invaluable. Now I wonder uh, again, looking at your paper, um, I wonder if you still stand behind one of your uh, uh, your comments where you said uh, in talking about the variances of the regional priorities, you know, which I think is very interesting because you're you're going through that right now while you're evalu evaluating some countries in Southeast Asia. You said historically Asia. Uh, has placed emphasis on uh, prohibited and restricted commodities and on cost, insurance, freight, and duty collection. So that was your experience at the time. And of course, the article is a few years old. And then you said, while in Europe, there's a strong emphasis on intellectual property and data accuracy. Um, I'm, I'm going to finish and then I'll let you comment. And then you said, while in Latin America, the focus tends to be on modernizing processes, basic risk, risk assessment, and duty collection. And then you concluded by saying, whereas in the US and Canada, the focus seems to be on the consumer product safety and expert enforcement. After all these years, do you still stand by that? Or are you now uh, polyphacetically uh, sort of change your view and, and you have some other um, key takeaways? Great question. You recognize, of course, that I co-wrote that with a true expert in, in these areas. Uh, to a large extent, I do stand behind those. Uh, I would say that data protection is, uh, it was always important in Europe, but it's clear that it's absolutely uh, a high priority now. So I would, I would more strongly emphasize that there. In the US, I would add IP protection to consumer protection. Clearly there's a strong emphasis on uh, IP enforcement. Uh, that has now extended uh, to Asia quite a bit. So in order to avoid confrontation with the US in particular, there is more and more emphasis on IP protection. Uh, China in particular is uh, absolutely, uh, their, their processes are, they've changed dramatically to try and ensure that they're not exporting fake IP. Quite interesting to see that development. Um, China remains heavily focused and much of Asia does remain heavily focused uh, on, on revenue collection. Um, and I think that's true of Latin America still. So I think those are features that still uh, still persist. And, and the way you conclude uh, the article, and I think is a good way for us to, to wrap this uh, interview. It's amazing that we've been talking for an hour, but that's what happens when you are very immersed in something that, that we're both very passionate about. Uh, you concluded by saying that while increased global globalization and trade can help people strengthen their communities, uh, which I think you still, as a true globalist, stand by, especially now that we know you're in Hong Kong building uh, a new uh, power brand, uh, you, you do recognize uh, already then that the impediments to trade um, were serious, they were significant, and in many cases, they were the, the result, as you said, of ignorance and fear and, and some nationalistic tendencies, which we have also seen in the recent few years that you could easily go and swing to the other pendulum and, and start hurting yourself as a result of all these impediments. But what I what I thought was interesting is that you said that that um, and this is good advice to the audience that if you leverage the automation and technology that is available to you at the time, 
And then you take that forward and you embrace harmonization and program standardization, you reduce paperwork and you seek growth, then your service will improve and your costs will be reduced. And I think those are almost axiomatic, you know, they're 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 very universal principles, but you've experienced that in the flesh. Can you comment a little bit on that? Certainly. Uh, yeah, some of the impediments uh, are are these antiquated processes where uh, customs officials, for example, well-meaning, uh, sometimes they're there to be impediments, I suppose, in some places, but uh, in, in others, they're just dealing with voluminous uh, regulations themselves, classification, uh, the need to review uh, many, many things. Uh, you know, the thing that I love about what we're doing at Flexport, and I don't mean this, uh, I'm just responding to the question, is we're actually enabling all the stakeholders in that ecosystem, which is a global ecosystem, to benefit from data that is brought together in a, in a potentially very harmonized way where uh, data that's fed in from the beginning through all the processes of ordering uh, feeds through the whole process and makes global trade easy for everyone. That can be the regulator uh, as well as, uh, as the company trying to sell its widgets in, in Peru. Uh, that's, that's the vision and it's a very exciting and powerful and a compelling vision. Uh, it's something that is definitely needed um, as we see that happen, uh, I think we'll see some really exciting things with collaboration and the movement of goods and services that follow those goods around the world. And I think on that note, uh, we'll bring the, uh, the interview to closure. This has been really um, fascinating to, to hear about your journey from big law and then from big fortune uh, in-house to, uh, to a unicorn that is now grabbing some headlines. And I think that uh, I look forward to our next interview when uh, we'll see whether you are the eighth or the fifth largest growing uh, company in the U.S. or a disruptor. Uh, we certainly uh, think that, uh, as you said, uh, now that you're servicing over 10,000 clients worldwide in, in over 200 countries, I think it's very impressive when you think that the company is, is just a few years old. Um, but for those that are watching, um, you know, I, I, I think, Todd, if, if you've done Flexport uh, justice, I think you can expect some CDs to land on your lap as other GCs and in-house counsel are going to say, well, I want to I want to go work for cool. Uh, so uh, they may be applying for a job. Uh, and so on that, I just like to say that um, we appreciate um, our, our viewing audience. We appreciate the in-house legal counsels around the world. Uh, we understand the pressures that you're under, and, and we hope that you find these interviews uh, insightful, uh, poignant, and, and uh, relevant to your, uh, to your day jobs. So we always like to close by saying you heard it first at the GC channel. So thanks, Dodd, and uh, look forward to our next interview. Thanks, Orlando. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. Enjoy this episode of the General Counsel Podcast. Then head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I look forward to catching up with you over our next episode. And don't forget, you heard it here first. 